Well, good evening. I greet you in Jesus' name this evening again. Thank you for that devotional from the book of Exodus. And uh, a very fitting devotional, a good example of someone that supported that uh, supported one another and uh, built each other up. And we do plan to Exodus soon after the the um, service here tonight. We have a little drive yet this evening, and um, so we probably won't hang around too long after the service. Not that we don't enjoy visiting with you, but uh, we're looking at how long it's going to take to get to the other end. So we're probably leaving um, soon after the service. So if you get out through the door and I'm not there, that's why. We uh, are loading up and leaving. Thank you very much for your hospitality this weekend. It was uh, very enjoyable. Feels like I know you a little better than what we did last evening at this time. And uh, appreciate the hospitality. The facility here was very nice. And uh, I know that the food that was provided for breakfast and um, yeah, some of y'all provided lunch and supper, and I think there's a snack for us on the way home that is greatly appreciated. Uh, we felt very, very warm hospitality, so thank you for that. And also, your deacon handed an envelope to me this afternoon that I don't think is uh, just his doings. I have a feeling that is you all had something to do with uh, some monetary gifts as well. So thank you for that, and the Lord bless you as a congregation here as you continue to build each other up and to... Uh, Worship him wherever God calls you and follow his will for your life. Well, this evening, we're again looking at the theme of building brotherhood, and the title is Building Each Other Up. And it's pretty pretty easy to connect those two thoughts, that building brotherhood happens by building each other up, because the brotherhood is built by building each other up. That's how we build the brotherhood, is building one another. And Christian brotherhood is made up of sinners that have been redeemed. And we need to remember that. We are all sinners that have been redeemed. And because of that, we live in the flesh, therefore we have needs. And some of us more than others, but we have lots of needs that we need to deal with. We have the carnal nature that we need to deal with. We have physical needs that we need to deal with, emotional needs, mental needs, and spiritual struggles, all these things that we deal with because we live in the flesh. And um, we all go through times where we struggle more than others, and there's times that we need build up more than others. And I'm always amazed, um, for those of you that are married, you know what it's like in a marriage relationship, how... Often when, often when your wife is maybe down, the husband can, can lift her up and encourage her. But sometimes it's the other way, right? And, and that's how it is in a brotherhood as well. We go through different stages in life. We go through different seasons in life. And uh, there's times that we're maybe in a position that we can build the brotherhood more. And other times we need to receive and we need to be built up ourselves. But each of us in a brotherhood have a responsibility to build each other up. And that's what we want to look at tonight. And as we do that, the brotherhood will be strengthened. 
I would like to think a little bit about building brotherhood and and liken it to a building. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 for an introduction. But in Ephesians 4, it talks about, in verse 12, the edifying of the body of Christ. And um, that word edifying of the body of Christ, the word edifying has the idea of a structure or building, what we're talking about tonight. So we're building up the brotherhood. We, we build each other up uh, because that Greek word has that, that idea. And so I'd like to think about two ways that building brotherhood is like a structure, how brotherhood is, is like a structure. First of all, a building requires more preparation to build it and more planning than what it does in tearing it down. It takes a lot of lot of planning, permits, and whatever that goes with with building a building. And there's a poem I'd like to read to you that illustrates this point, and it's the title of the poem is The Wrecking Crew. I stood on the streets of a busy town, watching men tearing a building down. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and a sidewall fell. I asked the foreman of the crew, are those men as skills as those you'd hire if you wanted to build? Ah, no, he said, no indeed, just common labor is all I need. I can tear down as much in a day or two as would take skilled men a year or two. And then I thought as I went my way, just which of these two roles am I trying to play? Have I walked life's road with care, measuring each deed with rule and square? Or am I one of those who roam the town, content with the labor of tearing down? You see, a building requires careful planning. And uh, just recently, this summer, we needed uh, some more storage. Uh, With my work, we have, with Anabaptist Financial, I keep a lot of books and stuff there, and we just didn't have room for it, so... um, the boys and I, we built a shed. I could have bought a shed, but I went to a local shed company and said, hey, I'd like to build a shed. It'd be a good experience for my boys. Will you sell me just some material and, and we can put it together? And so they did that. <clears throat> and one of the things I try to teach is that when you're measuring to cut something, you measure twice and cut once. You plan, you make sure you're doing it right, and then you cut it and you put it together. But it takes time to put a shed together or whatever you're building. You measure, you plan, what size is it going to be, you need permits, and all those things, and it needs to all fit together. And then you have the, um, the painting and all that shingles and all that goes with it. But when you're done, you have a building that is structurally sound, hopefully, and it looks pleasing, and it's most of all, it is, suits your needs, and it's very beneficial for you. <clears throat> but it takes a lot of forethought, it takes planning. Where do we want the windows? Where do we want doors? And that's one thing we talked about. Should we put a door on this end? Or should we just put a door on the side with two windows? Or do we want three windows? Or, and all those, all that goes into planning. So it takes forethought to build a building. And the brotherhood is the same way. It takes forethought. It takes careful thought and planning to build the brotherhood. Building each other up might take forethought, planning, and carefully chosen words or actions. We need to think about it, and um, we're going to look at a few different points, but observing each other's lives and, and looking for areas that we can build up. It takes planning. It takes forethought and consideration because building brotherhood won't just happen by itself. 
It's not going to just happen on its own. It takes effort on your part. But wrecking someone down or wrecking a brotherhood or ruining a relationship takes very little skill and very little effort. It just happens. It can happen very easily. And what takes a long time to build can be wrecked in no time. And just for interest's sake, I, I looked, um, did some research online to see how long it took to build the Twin Towers in New York City. Um, you younger ones wouldn't remember the Twin Towers, and you don't even remember 9-11, 2001. But um, those of us that are a little bit older, and I'm not old yet, but I do remember that. Most of us can probably remember where you were when that happened, uh, the day that that happened. But the Twin Towers in New York City, according to my research, it took them five years to build those, those towers. Does anyone know how long it took from when the first airplane hit that building? How long did it take till the tower collapsed? Anybody remember? 56 minutes. It took five years to build. A plane hit that tower and 56 minutes later it was a pile of rubble on the ground. Plus then, so you had cleanup work and it took nine months to clean it up. So that took a little bit longer, but still nine months to clean up those buildings that took five years to build. My point is it takes planning, it takes time to build, but it doesn't take long at all to wreck something. And it's the same way in a brotherhood relationships. It takes time, it takes effort to build relationships and to build up the brotherhood but we can wreck it in no time at all. With one word, one action, we can wreck relationships. And we need to be very careful. Oh, I forgot to mention, I just looked, the, the new One World Trade Center that's there now that replaced the Twin Towers took 11 years to build. That took quite a bit of time. But words and actions carefully thrown out there can tear someone down. And brotherhood can be wrecked down faster than, than it is built. And we need to remember that. It takes effort. The second area that brotherhood is like a building is that a building requires maintenance. And I was talking to some of you about the, um, the maintenance on this building, a big building like this, and you all know what it's like to have some maintenance on a building. But if you own a home, you know what it's like to have maintenance and, and caring, you know, cleaning and upkeep of a building. You have shingles to replace, windows to wash, flower beds to keep up with, lawn to mow. And it doesn't take very long at all um, until if there is someone that moves out of a home and there's no one living there until it's, that place is in pretty bad shape. And in order for a building to remain useful, somebody needs to maintain it. You need to keep it up. You keep it clean. A building that's not maintained will fall apart fairly quickly. You have a little leak in the roof that if someone lives there, they see it, they fix it, and they take, get it taken care of. But if no one lives there and you have a leak in a roof and it gets worse, then you soon have mold in the, in the attic or you soon have uh, water spots and ceilings falling down. And uh, if you have a downspout that is clogged, a homeowner will fix that. But if no one's living there, you have a downspout that's clogged and after a while you have water running down the side of the building and it gets into the basement and you have mold in the basement and things start rotting out. You have lawns that start growing up and weeds that start growing up and rodents that come in and just start ruining everything. You know, it doesn't take long at all if a building is not maintained until it goes downhill. Brotherhood relationships will naturally decay. 
just like a building will naturally decay. If left alone, if intention is not put into building brotherhood and building relationships, it's going to go downhill. That's, that's our natural tendency is for it to, to go downhill. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about being intentional about maintaining brotherhood relationships. Paul is talking about the church being one body, one spirit there in verse 4. Uh, he says, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so he's talking about this church being united, being together, the unity. And then he goes on and he talks about the different gifts in the body. But if we back up to the first three verses, he talks about the effort that is required for this unity. Look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, it takes humility and longsuffering and forbearance and love. And we talked about love this morning. And that's what it takes to build up a brotherhood. But in verse 3, he says, endeavoring. And that word endeavoring gives me the idea that it's not going to happen naturally, but it takes work, right? If you endeavor to do something, it means you're putting effort forth to do it. And he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And so it takes forethought. It takes work. It takes some determination on your part. And this is something that each of us should have a desire for. We should all have a desire to build the brotherhood, to build each other up. And it starts with the heart. And if the desire isn't there, it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen by itself. And so building each other up begins with the heart. We each need a desire to build each other up. And this seems rather basic, but it's very true. What is your desires? Do you desire to see your brother, your sister being built up and to grow and strengthened in the Lord? Because, again, we talked about society around us and how it is totally the opposite in society around us. And what is prevalent in society around us will affect the church. And we need to be careful with how that comes into the church and how much it comes into the church. And so we need to check our hearts to see where we are. The other thing I'd like to look at in this, in this passage is that Building each other up, or Christian maturity, happens in a group setting. So first of all, we are a body. We're under the headship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the body. Verses 4 talks about that. There's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God, one Father. And we fit underneath that. Christ is the head of the church. And whatever building up we do needs to fit under that umbrella. It needs to fit under the authority of Christ and of God. But then you have the individual gifts of the members of the body are mentioned. Look at verse 7. But unto every one of us is given gifts. I'm sorry, let me start over. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then he, uh, there's some parentheses there. Jump down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. 
And these are different gifts given to each of us for a reason. God gives each of us gifts. And we're not going to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, but in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about the different members of the body and how can the foot say that I don't need a hand and, and so forth. And he's talking about that we all have a place to fill in the body. Why is that? Why does God give us different gifts in the body? Each member has a responsibility to use the gifts that you have for the edifying of the body. We will build each other up in different ways. It might look different. And you might have the ability to build somebody up in a little different way than, than your brother or sister builds people up. We will build each other up in different ways. Individualism promotes building up self. Brotherhood promotes building each other up. And just like a building can be built with different materials, you know, you have buildings that are made of brick, some are made of stone, some are wood structures, some are steel structures. <clears throat> and so a building can be made up of different materials. So can the brotherhood be built up with different gifts. Different gifts and different abilities. We can use different resources. We can use our time, our talents, our money, our words. There's many ways that we can build each other up. And we are called to be good stewards of whatever gift, whatever resources God has put in your lap. Whatever he has blessed you with, you are called to, have good, to, to be a good steward of those resources. Some can build, can build the brotherhood by the gift of standing up front and, and preaching. But maybe they're not so good on one-on-one. -on -one. Others might build the brotherhood by counseling, do better at counseling. Others might have the ability to see needs or see when someone is discouraged and they go and talk to him and, or give him a card or maybe there's a struggling family and they have the ability God has blessed them financially and so they give them some money to, to help out. And there's many different ways that we can build each other up using different material or different gifts to build each other up. And so why does God give us these gifts? Well, let's continue reading here. Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that maturity and growth can happen in the body of Christ. That is why he gives these gifts. Because those verses come right after he, he's talking about some apostles, some prophets. He's talking about all the different gifts for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, to the edifying of the body, to build each other up. And so he gives you gifts. He gives each of us different gifts so that we can use those gifts to build each other up and to edify the body. And so we need each other for spiritual matu maturity and growth in the Christian in our Christian lives. We need each other so that we are doctrinally sound, so that we're not tossed to and fro. We need each other to balance each other out. We need each other to keep each other on the right track. And so God gives us gifts to build each other up. And so building up or Christian maturity happens as a unit. It happens as a brotherhood. And I think that's a beautiful thing how God has designed the brotherhood to work that we can build each other up and, and help each other.
The Bible has a lot to say about building each other up, and we want to look at some of that tonight. So getting into the main part of the message, number one, building each other up requires truth and love. Look at uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 15. So again, we're continuing our passage here. He's talking about unity. He talks about the different gifts. And then he talks about we, are, we have those gifts that we build each other up. Now, how do we do that? Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. How does this passage tell us to grow in spiritual maturity? How do we do that? Well, one of the ways is speaking the truth in love. And so again, if I can remind you, those of you that were here, we talked about love before and what love is. And this morning we talked about how love motivates us. It's not just warm, fuzzy feelings, but love, true love motivates action. It, it, it's a sacrificial love. Um, let's just turn to Philippians, which is just a few pages back. Philippians 2. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this point of love because we touched on that this morning. But you cannot separate love from unity and, and oneness. Philippians 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also in the things of others. You see, love and humility go hand in hand. And the call here is to promote unity and love. Not my agenda, but unity. And love does that. And Jesus is that perfect example of love. We looked at that this morning. Romans 5 talks about that. And so we are called to love our brother and sister just as Christ loved the church. Love does what is necessary for the good of others. And so this verse in Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. And so we need that background that we need to love. And so I want you to remember that as we look at speaking the truth in love. But love does what is necessary for the good of others. There were times when Jesus was here on this earth that he spoke very soft and tenderly to people. And he reached out to them because that is what they needed. He, and Jesus had the advantage of, of seeing right into their heart. And he knew their heart and knew exactly what they needed. But there were other times that he spoke some really direct words to some people. And he, was, he didn't beat around the bush. And you know what? He knew their hearts as well. And I don't believe he was trying to put them on the spot. I don't think when Jesus spoke harshly, can I, if I can use that term, harshly, I don't think he was trying to prove them wrong necessarily or lift himself up. I know he wasn't trying to lift himself up. But he knew their heart and he knew what they needed. He knew that they needed some harsh talking to. And so that's what he did. Love requires some hard things. And it's not always pleasant at times, but it's for the best of other people. An example is a, a doctor. Um, probably most of us have been at the doctor's office or in a hospital and you know that doctors do some pretty hard things because it's their job. But they do it because their job is to heal you, to make you better. But they do some difficult things that aren't so pleasant. Sometimes they have to stuff tubes down noses. Sometimes they have to prick you with needles. 
cut us open. My father-in-law, uh, a few years ago, he had open heart surgery. And so they cut him wide open, cut his chest wide open. Well, that was a difficult thing to do, I'm sure. But get that heart out there and it was a quadruple bypass, I think it was, that he had to do. And so he probably wouldn't be with us today if they wouldn't have cut him open. And so we're thankful for that. When I was uh, right around 17 or 18, somewhere in there, I had appendicitis. And some that get appendicitis, it's an attack, and they know what it is right away. For me, we didn't know what it was. I just started running a fever, wasn't feeling good, and it went a while till we figured out what it was. And when I finally uh, went to the, well, the first doctor we went to, he didn't think it was appendicitis. And then we finally went to the emergency room they figured out what it was and operated right away and thankfully it hadn't burst but there was a lot of gangrene had set in and so and i don't want to um, give you too many gruesome details here but i want to make a make a point and so be, rather than because of the gangrene that was in there rather than sewing me shut right away they left the incision open and they stuffed, um, soaked gauze in uh, alcohol and stuffed it in there every day they would pull that out and that would pull the infection out and it was not a pleasant feeling at all for me. Um, it was, I, I hated that. But the, they weren't doing it just to be mean to me. They were doing it because they needed to get that infection out there. And once it was all, all healthy, then they, then they taped me shut again. And they did tape me shut. That's all they did, put some tape across and left it grow together. But my point is doctors do some difficult things, some things that hurt sometimes. Because they need to. It's the benefit of the patient. And I'm glad they did it. And the same way, the same thing goes for building each other up. Sometimes it requires removing some infection in each other. We have some difficult things to do. We need to speak the truth in love. But it's because we love. It's because we want to build up our brother. And we want to help them to grow. We want to help them to be healthier Christians. And so we say some difficult things to them. But the reason I brought the love part back in again and repeated myself from this morning is because it must be done in love. And it must be done because we love our brother and we want to build them up. Not because we want to, make, we want to put them down to lift ourselves up. Not because we want to try to prove them wrong and, tr and prove that we're right. But because we love our brother. And only then can we do those difficult things. I was listening to, um, actually it was a preacher that came to our church one time and he touched on this verse and I like a quote that he said. He said, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. And I thought that was very good. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. So in other words, we can see things sometimes, but if we address those things Without having love in our heart, it's brutality. It's, it's pretty rough. But if we say that we love the brother and we're not willing to speak the truth, then it's hypocrisy. It's not true love. And so love will say those difficult things. Love will pull the spiritual infect or the, the infection out of our spiritual lives to help each other to grow. Proverbs tells us, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I believe that's the same idea that the proverb writer had in, had in mind, that sometimes a friend will do some difficult things 
to see us grow because he wants to see us grow. And so to build each other up, we have to be willing to do the dirty work sometimes, the hard work, the difficult things, the difficult conversations. So building each other up requires truth and love. Number two, we build each other up by building meaningful relationships with each other. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, there's two verses I want to pull out here. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Church is not a social club. You, this is not a social club here that you get together once a week to just socialize. A social club meets um, occasionally because of a common interest. We have a local uh, sportsmen's club there close to our place that meets. They, they meet monthly, and then the members also can use the shooting range and fish in the pond and things like that. But it's because of a common interest that they have. They enjoy hunting and fishing, and so there's this sportsmen's club that gets together. You can be a member of that club. And there's all kinds of different clubs. There's book clubs. There's chess clubs. There's... Uh, whatever, all there, there's all different clubs that you can join. And in a sense, the church is brought together because of a, a common interest. And we talked about that, that we need to have a common interest. Our common interest needs to be to be followers of God. And, and, and that is true, that we have that common interest. Jesus Christ should be what binds us together. But congregational relationships must be deeper than a relationship that is a part of a social club. It needs to run a whole lot deeper than all that. Chess clubs get together to play chess, to talk about chess, to watch chess being played, and to whatever all that. I don't know. I was never part of a chess club, but um, I just Googled a chess club, and I looked in, on their website, and it, it's all about chess, obviously. But I don't believe, I am guessing anyway. I don't know for sure. I don't know of anyone that's a part of a chess club, but I would... I would guess that members that are part of a chess club probably relate to each other when it comes to chess, and outside of that, it's non-existent. They probably don't relate to each other very much. But congregations must be involved in each other's lives. We need to be involved in our daily lives. Build relationships. As children of God, we are families. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to be a part of each other's lives. That kind of relationship runs a whole lot deeper than a social club. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another daily. Daily. And we don't often take that seriously. But I get the idea that we need to be involved in each other's lives a lot, not just on Sunday morning. I think it's good that we know what's going on in each other's lives. We know what we're facing during the week. What are you doing? What's John doing this week? Is he... Is he is he working from home or is he working here? What's he doing? I mean, just what's what's happening in, you know, in everyone's lives. And so to build each other up, we must be a family, not a social club. Verse 24, he says, let us consider one another. And that word 
that phrase consider one another means to fully observe. Let me read that verse to you in the Amplified. It says, and let us consider and and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another, studying how we may stir up, stimulate, and incite to love and helpful deeds and noble activities. That sounds like building each other up, doesn't it? Sounds like being involved in each other's lives. Let us consider and give attentive, continuous care to watching over one another. That's what the writer is saying here. Our world must be bigger than ourselves. We need to be involved in people's lives. When you talk to people after church, be involved in their life. Ask them questions. I have observed some people, some families, that it seems like their life just revolves around themselves. And everything is about what's happening in their life. And they will rarely ask you what's happening in your life. And there's some difference in personalities, I understand, but um, every time you talk to them, they talk about their pain and their busy schedules and all the things that they are facing and, oh, what looks overwhelming to them. And they don't ever think about what you're going through. And when, when they go through difficult times, it's just terrible. But when there's another family that goes through something similar, you don't see any support from that from them because their world is all about themselves and they're very just ingrown. And I think we all have that tendency within us. Church members, church fellowship is not just for our own benefit and our own blessing. We shouldn't be just pulling off and just sucking energy out of everybody else. But we have a part to build each other up. Yes, I said before that we have we go through times where maybe we will suck more energy and, and more encouragement from the congregation. But there's times in life that we need to reciprocate. We need to be the one to build up. It's a two-way street. And so tonight you need to ask yourself, what kind of member are you? What kind of church member are you? Are you one that is watching out, that you're considering one another, and you're encouraging, you're making, making it, Uh, an intentional part of your life to be involved in the lives of your brothers and sisters? Or am I one that requires more? We need to consider each other's wants and weaknesses and temptations and trials, our successes and our failures. Think about those things. And in order to do this, it takes more than a surface relationship. It takes more than gathering for church on Sunday morning. Effort should be made to visit in each other's homes. Sunday evening, pick up the phone. And I I don't know how it is in in your circles, but I remember as a boy that was done pretty regular. If you didn't have anything going Sunday evening, usually your phone would ring and someone would come visit you or you would call someone and you go visit. We did that all the time or often. But it seems like it's happening less and less and less. Even like baby visiting. I don't know how, I'm kind of going on a side thing here, but um, baby visiting, I mean, when a baby is born... We always went to visit that family soon, you know, and you give them a baby gift. Well, it seems that's even getting less and less. And um, it does bother me a little bit that it seems like church is becoming more and more like a social club. We need to be involved in each other's lives. Sit down on Sunday evening or during the week and, and visit. And we have technology that we can communicate. Uh, use it. Use the phone. Use um, text messaging or pick up the phone and call. Effort needs to be made. 
to build relationships. And then we get to verse 25, and he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So I want to make it clear tonight that I'm not bashing the assembling of the saints. That's important. We need to assemble together. And if we value Christian brotherhood, we're going to look forward to gathering with the saints on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening or a Sunday night. We look forward to communion service. We look forward to council. We look forward to revival meetings. We look forward to weekend Bible conference. We look forward to those things because it's something we do as a family. And it bothers me when when families will readily miss church functions, plan vacations over communion. I don't think we should do that. When communion is scheduled, we need to be there. Amen. Thank you. We need to be there, especially on special services like that. We are created social beings that should be filling that void in our congregational life. And when we worship together, when we pray together, when we sing together, we break bread together, it builds and strengthens relationships. And when that is not important in our lives, when, that, when we don't value that, there's a problem. Our, our presence and our contribution to worship services builds each other up. Study your Sunday school lesson. Be involved in the service. Don't come unprepared. You have your ministry that need to come prepared to preach. You have a Sunday school teacher that needs to come prepared to share in the Sunday school class. But you're not off the hook. You are responsible to participate. Make sure you're well rested. Make sure you look forward to the gathering. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. I think it was last evening, I forget when I say what, but I think it was last evening we, talk about, we talked about the end times and how we're, we're getting to the end times and it seems like the rapture could happen any time. So much the more, as we see the world getting more evil and more evil and worse and worse, we need to value the gathering of the saints even more. Number three, my next point, I've I split it up in a number of different points here. But I want to look at a Bible example of someone that was the son of encouragement. Who in the Bible was known for encouragement? Does anybody know? Barnabas. Barnabas. Thank you. Barnabas was known to be an encourager. His nickname, if I can call it a nickname, was the son of consolation. Turn to Acts chapter 4. That word consolation is the Greek word paraklesis, if I'm saying that right, which means encourager. Is another word that you could use there. He was known to build up the brotherhood, to build up people. And I just love this example. And we're going to go through and look at a different, different ways that Barnabas built up the brotherhood. And so Barnabas was such an encourager that he became known as the encourager. And in Bible times, men were identified by who their dad was. You can read in the Bible, and it'll often say, um, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And because that identified who they were because they were the son of. And so it was pretty common for, for them to say, um, John, the son of whatever your dad's name is. And um, Barnabas was identified by son of consolation. In Acts 4, verse 36 and Joses, 
who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. And so that is what Barnabas means, the son of consolation. And I think that is so unique and such a blessing that this man was known to be an encourager that that's the name that they gave him. I just think that's that's just pretty neat. It's amazing. But the question is, what are you known by? If you were given a nickname tonight, what would it be? Would it be the son of encourager? Or the son of criticism? The son of cynicism? The son of discouragement? What would it be? What kind of person are you? And if we want to learn how to build brotherhood, let's look at this man, Barnabas, that was known to build the brotherhood, that was known to be an encourager. And there's a couple different ways he did this. Number one, Barnabas was an encourager by giving of his possessions. So here we have a need in the congregation. Earlier in the chapter, um, there's a multitude that believed, verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, of one soul. Neither said any of them that, Aught of things which he possessed was his own, but they all had all things in common. So I don't know what all happened there. I'm not sure what that all looked like, but they had they had things in common, and I don't know how that all worked out practically. But I don't believe there was anybody in need. I think what it's saying is the rich gave to the poor, and the poor accepted it. And Barnabas, we get down to verse 36. Um, it's talking about who Barnabas is. And then in verse 37, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So I don't know. I, I wish we knew more. I don't know if Barnabas was a wealthy man and he invested in land. And so uh, when there was this need arose, he sold a piece of land and gave the money to the apostles. And that would be okay. I don't know if it was a sacrifice that um, he sold the land and he kind of needed it, but he didn't have the money to, to give, and so he sold this land and gave the money. I don't know. But we know that he sold land and he took the money and gave it to the apostles so it could be used for, for this need. And I'm sure that the brethren that received that gift were blessed and were built up by it and were encouraged by it. Those of you that have received money from the church in times of need know what I'm talking about. I'm guessing you have some kind of brotherhood sharing um, plan. You have something that if there's a big medical bill or whatever, um, the deacon shows up, uh, not taps you on the shoulder and starts talking to you and, and uh, writes a check out for you. And that's, that's a blessing. It's a blessing to be on both sides. It's a blessing to be able to give in situations like that. And it's humbling to receive that as well. Um, a year, two, was it two years ago, uh, our oldest son had something called slipped capital femoral epiphysis. Yeah, I didn't know what it was either. It was the first time I heard of it. Um, but basically, it's where the the capital femoral slipped. So, uh, I won't. If you want to ask me about it later, you can call me. But it's a, something with the hip. There was a, and um, so. That wasn't a huge deal, but it took an operation, and uh, about nine or ten thousand dollars later, he's as good as new. And we were able to, uh, the church helped us out with that, and it was a blessing to be a part of a brotherhood that was willing to help out. And when I hear stories of people with 
needs like that outside the church that don't have the support of a brotherhood, um, it makes me very thankful for, for what we have. And it's an encouragement. And we have been blessed enough that we often can give to the brotherhood out of our extra. I don't think it's too often that we have to sacrifice a whole lot to, to share in, in the brotherhood sharing. I don't, know, I don't know your lives, but I'm guessing that um, it's pretty universal in Virginia as what it is in Pennsylvania. And um, Most times we give out of our excess, not out of our need. We don't sacrifice a whole lot. But would we be willing to sell a valuable asset in order to help in the brotherhood? How far would you be willing to go? And this is a way that we are called to be an encouragement to one another, and we can build each other up this way. Sacrificial giving is a way of building each other up. So let's keep looking at the encourager here. The second way is that that Barnabas was an encourager is by interceding for others. Flip back a few chapters to chapter 9 of Acts, and here Barnabas shows up again. And this is right after Saul's conversion. You know the story how Saul is out there, and he was he was pretty vigorous in, in um, persecuting the Christians. And I would say if you were a Christian in those days and, and you heard that Saul's coming into town or came into town, fear probably welled up in your heart because uh, he was a man that... He was really zealous at persecuting the Christians. And um, you know the story how he was on his way to Damascus and the bright light shone down. He was converted. And just as zealous as he was in persecuting the Christians, he turned that right around and he used that, that energy to preach the gospel and to spread the word. And it's a blessing to see how God used uh, Saul or Paul. And um, so he comes back to Jerusalem this man that is known to persecute the Christian comes back to the saints at Jerusalem and he's trying to he's trying to come into the church. And I don't blame them, but the brothers at Jerusalem, they're kind of like, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, we're we're not gonna talk to you. And I, I can't really blame them for that. But look at verse twenty six. Let's pick up here. We have this story. Saul is coming to Jerusalem. Verse 26, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. And look who comes along. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out in Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the church rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. So here we have this problem. We have this persecutor of the Christians showing up wanting to be a part of the church and it's not going well and so Barnabas steps in and he says look brothers and he tells a story I will vouch for him this is what happened he's a man that can benefit you he's a man that is strong for the Lord he is a disciple accept him 
And he was a blessing. And he helped Saul by going with him to the disciples and testifying for him. And he helps the disciples by introducing this new powerful believer to them. So he helped both of them. He interceded. And it says in verse 31 that because of this, because of Paul's entrance into the church, they were edified. They were built up because of Paul's preaching. And do you think that would have happened if Barnabas would have stepped in there and, and made that connection? It's a beautiful thing. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where someone else stepped up and vouched for you. Maybe you were facing some accusations from someone or whatever it might be, and a brother stood beside you and placed his confidence in your integrity. And I think I, I mentioned this morning about how we had a postponed uh, council and communion one time, and, and there was some, some of our integrity was questioned as, as leadership. And it was a blessing to have, have some brothers to stand beside and vouch for us and say, I believe in the integrity of these men. I don't think they did this intentionally. It was just, just a misunderstanding, and they stood up, and they helped some of the other brothers, and they brought us together. And in a sense, they were a Barnabas to us because they brought us together. And it's such a blessing when your integrity is on the line, when your integrity is being questioned, to have someone stand up and vouch for you. And this is what happened here. We are people that don't like to receive accusations and confrontations. At least most of us don't like confrontations. It seems some people thrive on it, but I don't think most of us like it. And it hurts and it's hard when people question or attack our integrity. But it's such a blessing during those times to have a brother, either privately or maybe publicly, stand up and support you. And so we can build each other up by mending relationships. Do you do that? Are you one that brings people together in men's relationships? Or do you separate? You know, it's so easy to gossip these days with messages and whatever. It's so easy to gossip and that separates people. What kind of person are you? Are you someone that separates people? Or do you bring them together like Barnabas does? Because as we bring people together, it builds brotherhood. It builds each other up. Then we go on to chapter 11, moving on. In chapter 11, we have Barnabas showing up again. And here we have the church being persecuted. And um, the church was being scattered because of this persecution. And I'm sure there was an element of fear in this persecution. But there's also a great blessing from this persecution, and it, which often happens. When a church is persecuted, they scatter, and the word goes out, and, and more, more people... Um, are brought to the gospel and, and learn to know Jesus through that persecution. And so the gospel went out and was received in other parts of the world. In Acts 11, let's start reading at verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen travailed as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Persecution happened in the church. They spread out, they scattered, and more people learned to know the Lord. Verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. So the... Back in Jerusalem, they heard, these people are scattering. There's new churches being formed because of it. 
and they saw a need. They're like, you know what? These new Christians, they need some leadership. They need people to encourage them. Well, look who shows up. And they sent, verse 22, in the middle of the verse, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. When the church at Jerusalem heard of this, they recognized the need. They recognized that these people are going to need encouraged. And who better to send than the person that is known to be an encourager? Barnabas was willing to leave Jerusalem and to go encourage and build up these new Christians. Do you think they would have chose Barnabas to go to build up these Christians if he would have been known as the son of cynicism or the son of criticism or the son of discouragement? Do you think they would have sent Barnabas to the new Christians? I don't think so. They said, there's a man that is an encourager. Let's send him and he can be a blessing to those new churches, those new believers. And so Barnabas used his words to encourage the new Christians. Let's keep reading here. Verse 23, speaking of Barnabas, they sent him who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. And what did he do? What did he, do? he exhorted them all with the purpose of heart, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Because he went, he encouraged them with that with purpose of the heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And much people were added unto the Lord. I wish we had recordings of what all Paul preached and what he said to them. Or I'm sorry, what Barnabas said. I would love to hear what all he said. But as a result, these people, more people were added to the Lord. The encouragement that Barnabas had was spread far and wide. And it was life-changing. It encouraged the believers, it strengthened them, and more people were added. And it, it was life-changing for them because of what Barnabas was willing to do. It totally changed the path that they were on. It led them to the Lord. Do you see how powerful encouragement can be? And how much, how powerful purpose of building each other up, what it can do if we do it with purpose. Proverbs 25 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And so mature Christians have a responsibility to encourage each other. We all have a responsibility to build each other up. Mature ones, you have a responsibility to build up the young Christians, the new Christians. But I know it can be easy for mature Christians to look at, can I say immature Christians or new Christians, Christians that... Maybe it's youth that we say, you should know better. And we become critical of them. And maybe there's a place to say some difficult things. We talked about that. But what difference would it make if we would make a special point to encourage those struggling Christians, the struggling young ones, the struggling youth? Encourage them. So just help encourage them like it says here um, in verse 23, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And encourage them rather than be critical of them. And after Barnabas was done with the initial encouragement, he left to seek Paul. And he brings Paul, let's continue reading here in verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So after Barnabas is there teaching and encouraging them and helping them get their feet underneath them, then he goes and he gets uh, Paul and brings him back. And for another year, they, they serve there in that, in that church and encourage them and build up the brotherhood. So we have the option 
We can build each other up or we can tear each other down. Will you be a Barnabas or will you be someone that tears down? You see, encouragement is an open door into people's hearts. And that's why it helps to build brotherhood. It connects hearts within a brotherhood. There's something that happens between two people when encouragement hap- when, when their encouragement is given. Encouragement is a practical expression of love. And so when, when you encourage a brother or sister in the church, they know that you care for them. They know that you love them. And there's a connection that happens and a building that happens. And they know that your world is not all about yourself, but that you've thought about them. You're considering what they're going through and you care about them. When I receive encouragement, I know that someone is thinking of me and it's not just about themselves. And that builds relationships. Last of all, in closing, I want to see how building each other up has long-lasting effects. We've been talking about Barnabas here. And I just want to look at the end of chapter 11. Verse 27 and in these, so this is right after we're picking up where we left off, right after they served another whole year. Verse 27, and in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And what happened? Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and send it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so you have this man, Barnabas, that was an encourager himself, that taught others to do the same. They learned from Barnabas. Earlier in his life, we read how Barnabas, when there was a need at Jerusalem in his home congregation, he saw a need, he took his land, he sold it, and he helped. He, was, he encouraged that way. Later on, he was willing to give up of his time, and he went to, that, to his new churches, and he encouraged them, and he taught them, and, and the message must have got through. Because when we get to this point, those new churches, that new church in Antioch, heard of a need back at Jerusalem, and they said, we want to give to that. We want to encourage them. We want to bless them. And so every man, according to his ability, gave money and they gave it to Barnabas and Saul and said, here, take this to the church in, in Jerusalem. We want to help. You see how one man that it was an encourager affected the new church that then blessed other churches. And how do you think that gift affected the people in Jerusalem when they received that gift? It built them up. And when other needs came, we don't know this, when other needs came, I'm guessing they helped and they continued to be an encouragement but I believe that Barnabas had an integral part in building a church culture of encouragement. Because we know what kind of man Barnabas was. And we see what happened when this church in Antioch saw a need. And I believe that Barnabas the encourager had a key part to play in building this culture of encouraging and, and giving and sacrificial giving and building each other up. 
And again, I don't know you all very well. I don't know what kind of church culture you have here. And so I can speak freely, but what kind of culture are you helping to build? Are you helping to build a church culture of encouragement and blessing others? Or are you helping to build a culture that is sucking from everyone else? You see the difference? And every church has a culture, and each of you, leadership has a, has a big part to play in what kind of culture you have, but you all have a part to play in that as well. What kind of church culture do you have? And what are you contributing to? Well, in closing, as children of God, we are responsible to build each other up. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4 said, says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Being a good steward of encouragement. We have a connection with God. We have a relationship with God. And we have a responsibility to use that relationship, the comfort that we get from God, to bless those outside of the church and also to encourage each other. Because God comforts us. He gives us mercies every day. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. And so God comforts you, he blesses you, and he gives you mercies every day so that you can be a blessing to other people. I was also blessed with another man. We're not going to look at that, but I want to close by reading what Paul says about Philemon. He says this about Philemon, and is this what he would write about you if he was here and knew you? He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. This is Paul speaking to Philemon. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the vows of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. He's saying the saints are blessed by you. They're encouraged by you. And we find great joy in that. Does God find great joy because the saints are blessed by you, brother, by you, sister? What kind of culture are you building, contributing to? Are you building each other up? Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you at the close of this service, the close of this weekend Bible conference. We thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that you have provided for us, that you have preserved for us for years and years that we have to study today. Lord, thank you for the examples in your word. Thank you for the example of Barnabas and how we can see the, the results of his encouragement to the church in Antioch. And Lord, it is our desire to, to be like that. And I just pray that you would help each one of us to be a blessing to the congregation, be a blessing to the brotherhood, and that we could build each other up. And we could contribute to a culture of encouragement and a positive culture in our congregation. 
And so, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this congregation here as they continue to build each other up, as they continue to build brotherhood here. I just pray that you would bless them in their relationships. Lord, help them to forgive when there's trespasses. Help them to overlook each other's faults and help us help them to be an encouragement to each other. Pray that you bless the leadership here. Bless them as they serve you, as they serve the congregation, that you would fill them with your spirit and give them wisdom and give them strength. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless us as we go from here, that you would keep us safe physically. Keep us safe this week as we go about our work and whatever we do. But most of all, Lord, I pray that you would protect us spiritually. The devil is out there to get anyone to fall, get each of us to fall. But Lord, we know that you are stronger and that your strength is sufficient for us. And so I pray that you would help us to lean on you. And I just pray that you'd help us to be faithful. And Lord, we don't know when the trumpet is going to sound. We believe it's going to be soon. And we look forward to that time. We pray, Lord, that each of us would be ready when that trumpet does sound. And I pray that we could be a part of your bride that meets you in the air and that we could live with you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.